Last week I shared about how we are um, going through another sifting as, as a congregation. And I shared that, that when we go through sifting that we've got to be very careful and not do what Peter or Judas did when they got sifted. Um, remember um, in my message, Judas had this remorse when he realized that he had betrayed Jesus. An innocent man. He, he realized what he had done. And, and what Judas did was Judas tried to buy back his innocence. He tried to uh, return the money that they paid him to betray him. They wouldn't accept it. And so he tried to buy back his innocence and he failed. And because he failed, he was like he still had so much guilt he needed to get off of his life. And so the only way he thought he could handle it was he hung himself. Peter also failed in the sifting that he went through. And when Peter failed, he had so much guilt, so much shame, he decided that he wanted to go back to an old thing to cover up the bad thing. Right? But Jesus was doing a new thing. Jesus was about to do a new thing, even though Peter was stuck doing an old thing to try to cover up this very bad thing that he had just went through. And so we saw that, that Jesus gave Peter three opportunities to repent because Peter denied him three times. Remember that? And, he, and Jesus gave Peter three opportunities to reaffirm his love. Do you, do you love me? Yes, I do, Lord. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And I also shared last week about how pride shows up in our lives when we're going through the sifting. And it comes in the form of things like self-pity and self-loathing and you know i'm terrible and i should talk about it and you should feel bad that i'm so awful and uh, you know but it's we we think it's it's some kind of you know i don't know what we think it is it's ridiculous because it's pride it's still all about me and and so i shared last week that if we don't move out of shame and guilt into remorse and then from remorse we get to repentance if we don't do that process we will have our faith and our worship stolen do you know why people walk away from church and a relationship with jesus almost every time someone starts not coming to church anymore or they start you know walking their life that used to be all about christ it starts to go away Almost every time that happens, it is they had something in their life that they needed to turn away from. They hit something. They hit the wall, and they needed to turn. They needed to repent, and they refused to deal with it. I guarantee anyone that you know who's, who's not walking with the Lord or they've disconnected from the family, it's because they hit an impasse and I'm not going to do what God wants me to do in this one spot. I promise you, every time you start to fall away, you start feeling distance from God, it's because you're hitting a wall of something the Lord wants to deal with in your life. And so their faith gets destroyed, they walk away. See, Judas, he didn't, he didn't move from repentance. He didn't go from remorse into repentance. He went from, from remorse to pride, and he decided to self-destruct. Literally, he killed himself. 
in an effort to pay off his own debt, instead of accepting the sacrifice of Jesus to pay off his guilt, right? That's who paid for your shame and your guilt. It was Christ. Peter tried to cover up his failure by going to old things. He went back to fishing. Fishing gave him comfort. Fishing was good. I was good at fishing. But Jesus came and he wanted to do a new thing in the midst of Peter's shame. And that's what he's doing right now with us. Jesus is showing up and he wants to do a new thing in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our guilt, in the midst of the remorse. He wants to do a new thing. And in order for a new thing to affect, it almost always requires repentance. Say, if I want a new thing, it starts with repentance. So how many of you work with computers? Raise your hand real high. Keep it up. Real high if you work with computers. Chad Cooper, are you in the room? You see all these hands? Here's all your video people, right? <laughs> I did it. I sure did it. You will be on the rotation. You'll get an email what week you're on. It's, it'll be good. No, but listen, if you spend a lot of time on a computer through, you know, in life or work, you inevitably, you have this moment when things are not working right with the computer, right? Yes, yes, yes. Maybe a program's not going to open. Uh, maybe you can't connect to the internet. Your keyboard won't work. Your mouse won't work. You know, bad things eventually happen over time when you use a computer. And sometimes when things go really bad with your computer, you'll get to see one of these. Not that one. There it is. Anyone know what this is? It is the blue screen of death. Wouldn't it be great if it was this funny? Windows crashed again. I am the blue screen of death. No one hears your screams. Yeah. It's the blue screen of death. When everything is falling apart and systems start breaking down, your computer will lock up and show you the blue screen of death. Now, in the Mac world, it's this thing. It's the beach ball. In the Mac world, we have the beach ball. And that thing spins. It's the dreaded beach ball. And when things are going really wrong on a Mac, you may see this. And if this thing never goes away, you're in real trouble. So when we get the blue screen of death or the beach ball, there's only really one way to fix it. And it's to start over. You just got to hit the reset button. The reset button gives the system a fresh start and it allows it to correct any errors that may have come up while you were using it. Well, that is the analogy I want to use for our marriages. You know, last week I shared that we would be starting a series today on essential keys to resurrect your marriage. See, a marriage, it can look a lot like a computer. It's very complex, has a lot of systems that are required to have it run properly. Um, your computer can be healthy or it can get sick with a virus. Um, when your computer works well, it is incredibly beneficial. 
And when things are going well, we tend to take the health of that computer for granted. And when it gets a virus or it doesn't work, it suddenly becomes the greatest source of pain and suffering known to mankind. There's nothing more depressing or demoralizing than needing your computer to get your work done, and it doesn't work right. Guess what? It's the same with our marriages. When our marriages are working right, they bring us incredible joy and incredible fulfillment. The thing is, is that we also tend to neglect and take our marriages for granted when things are going well. And when our marriages are breaking down and we're staring at the blue screen of death, We experience pain, and we experience emotional pressure like nothing else. So when our marriages seem like they're dying, they're not working like they should, we have got to hit the reset button. And the reset button is repentance and it's forgiveness. Some of us have been staring at the blue screen of death for a very long time. Just paralyzed. You're trying to hit the escape button. This will do something, right? I want out of here. But that's not going to work. It's not going to fix what your problem has with the marriage. You have to hit the reset button. You have to restart the system. And this applies to every relationship. So if you think, well, I'm not married, so this has nothing to do with me. Too bad. Has everything to do with you. Because every one of us has a relationship with someone. And this applies to every relationship that's breaking down. Repentance and forgiveness is how you restart every relationship. Whether it's husband and wife, parents and kids, friends, uh, co-worker, uh, teachers and students. If it has to do with relationship and it needs repaired, it must begin with repentance and forgiveness. So today I want to drill down on a biblical view of, of repentance because It's very important that we do it the right way. And I know that a lot of us, we want to reset. We need the reset. We need the fresh start. We need the system to start over. But it's not going to be successful if we don't hit the reset button the way the Bible says we are to start over. So, let's start with a definition of what what does repentance mean. Repentance means a turning away from sin, disobedience, or rebellion, and turning back to God. You can either write that down or snap a picture. Repentance means a feeling of remorse or regret for past behavior that leads to a change of mind and behavior 
towards God and others. So when the Bible speaks of true repentance, it speaks of a person having this thing called godly sorrow. It's godly sorrow for the sin that has been committed. See, repentance is an act of turning around. It's going in one direction, and repentance means I'm going in the opposite direction of that thing. It's a turning around, and it's going in the opposite direction of that sin. It's going in the opposite direction of that disobedience. It's going in the opposite direction of that rebellion, that bad attitude, whatever it is. That's wrecking the relationship. The kind of, this kind of repentance leads to a fundamental change in the person's relationship to both God and to other people. Now, on this journey of repentance, we must first be fully aware of something. And I know this won't be fun, funny, fun, but I'm going to give you some real solutions that you will not realize that he gave us a bunch of answers to a bunch of problems I'm having. But I promise you, on this, this journey of understanding repentance, we've got to be fully aware of the consequences of unrepentant sin. Everyone say those fun words, unrepentant sin. It's important to understand that all Christians sin. All of us. Why? Because we've got a war that's going on inside of us. We have this constant battle of our new nature that does not sin and cannot sin with the old nature, and these two things are warring against each other. The old nature keeps fighting and bludgeoning the new nature inside of us. And so the reason that we sin is that the old nature, from time to time, wins a fight. Doesn't win the big battle, but it wins a fight from here. It gets a lucky punch in. Now, Does the fact that we all sin, that all Christians sin, does that give us a license to continue in known sin? Let's hear it, everybody. No. The answer is no. God expects us to turn and repent from known sin and walk into victory. Romans chapter 6 Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Proverbs 6, verse 16. In, the, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Galatians, another great scripture, chapter 6, verse 7, says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So what is unrepentant sin? Unrepentant sin are those sins that the Bible clearly states that we are to repent of when we come to Christ. 
Sins that need repentance are things like immorality, things like drunkenness, and and we're going to include getting high on any substance, whether it's prescription or not, if you're abusing it. Things like filthy language, covetousness, evil desires, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, lying, theft, hatred, jealousies. I mean, the list could just go on and on and on. The Bible's very clear. And then there's also some areas where, um, that are maybe black and white in the Bible, but they're things that God's talked to you about. That TV show you've been watching. all the porn that's in Game of Thrones, you're not convicted any longer. Maybe when God told you in season two to stop. There are personal things that God talks about to us that we have to, we have equally have to be responsible to repent from. Attitudes of our hearts, the way we, we, we treat people, the attitudes towards our spouse, it, sins of omission or which is a sin of, of me failing to do something that I should have done. So, so as we understand what unrepentant sin is, we've got to look at what are the consequences of not repenting when God is leading us into repentance. And the first one, the first consequence is this. Sin brings a loss of Christian joy. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and everyone say it, joy and the Holy Spirit. See, one of the fruits of coming into the kingdom of God is knowing Jesus is is, is having this joy in the Lord. Having joy in the Lord. See, when we continue to walk in sin, whatever it may be that God is convicting of us, we will be robbed of this very precious joy of the Lord. And as a result, we will begin to lose our strength in God. See, it's nearly impossible to have joy when we have unjudged, unrebuked, unconfessed sin in our life. Sin brings a beating down on our conscience. And sin brings the rebuke of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have this, in Psalm 51, we have this heartbroken prayer of David after his sin with Bathsheba. And remember, David tried to cover his sin for a time. But then he was rebuked by the prophet Nathan. It says in Psalm 51, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you crushed rejoice again. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. 
And then in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now see, what David had had just been going through, David had been weeping over his baby who died because of his own sin. And he had been weeping over his lost fellowship with God. And so in this psalm, David is begging for the cleansing of a renewed heart. He's begging, he's asking God and pleading, give me a right spirit, renew a right spirit in me. He's crying out for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 12, he said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. See, David had lost the joy of being a follower of God. And David knew that the only, the only, that David knew that with only with cleansing from his sin, only through the comfort of the Holy Spirit, only being upheld and, and, and helped to walk upright and straight, only then could he have the joy which should be with our salvation. Someone say amen. Listen, any one of us who claims to know Jesus as Savior and is, but, but still practices sin, living in it. Now, I'm not talking about you got a punch, okay? I'm not talking about I had a bad day or a bad moment. I'm talking about a lifestyle. You live in this thing. If you live in this lifestyle of sin and you don't have a burning guilt in your conscience, if you have no pain in your soul, no conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is a sign that Christ doesn't know you. He doesn't know you. I mean, why do, you, why do you think Peter, he went out and he wept bitterly after he denied Christ? Because his sin of saying, I don't know this guy, stole every ounce of joy he had. It took it all out of his life. And that's what sin does to my life, and that is what it does to your life. It will steal your joy. If we allow sin patterns in our lives to go unjudged and unconfessed in our lives, those sin patterns will steal our joy. Here's the second thing that happens. Sin quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit and His ministry in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. 
See, one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit is quenched and is grieved is when we allow sin to go unrepentant in our lives. See, it prevents the Holy Spirit from performing His ministry on our behalf. Who needs a little help from time to time? See, this word quench, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, that word quench, it's this word, savanimi. It's a Greek word. Savanimi. And it means to put out as a fire or a light. It means to extinguish. It means to exterminate, to terminate. As a matter of fact, in in. The NIV translation of this passage, it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. See, for the, in order for the Holy Spirit's ministry to be fully released in our lives, say, I want full release. I want all of the Holy Spirit. I need some more voices on this section. I need all of the Holy Spirit fully released in my life to get that full release he's got to have influence with our will there's no other way he has to be able to influence your choices he has to influence your will he has to be able to tell you yes and no and you say your will be done He has to own us. Say, the Holy Spirit has to own me. Says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That means where he's hanging out all the time. Living there. Who is in you, whom you have received from God. Do you not know this? You are not your own. I know it's popular in social media and culture. It is my body, my choice. I'll do whatever I want. Did you ask the Holy Spirit? Because it's not your body. Not if you're a Christian. He owns you now. And what sin does is it diminishes so much of the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, the Holy Spirit, He doesn't leave us when we sin. Everybody clear? He's not leaving. But man, His work, limited. Hindered. I mean, there's some really amazing things the Holy Spirit actually does for us. I mean, there are some serious benefits that we have got to have in our life. Number one, he gives us assurance of our salvation. He lets us know, you're in, man. I'm in you. You're in. Holy Spirit, he speaks to us. He's the voice of God. Then he opens our understanding to the things of God. Man, sometimes I go, what are you doing? What's this all about? That's his job to help me. 
He guides and He directs our lives. He imparts life to us. He strengthens our inner being. That's that part of us that gets worn out and broken down sometimes. He enables us to pray according to the will of God. Man, who wants to pray God kinds of prayers? You need the Holy Spirit to do that. You need His work. He produces Christ-like fruit in our character. He calls us. He, he, he brings our calling and He guides us into how we serve the Lord in our ministry. He gives us power to witness and, and He gives us gifts to demonstrate the kingdom like we're supposed to. And He guides us through our personal struggles. Anyone got one of those? Come on. Can we afford to lose this? Can we afford to have this not working in our lives? Could this be maybe some of the problems we're facing? It happens. We can't allow it to happen. Number three. Sin brings reproach, which is a word that means criticism. On Christ and the church, and the Bible. See, one of the worst things that the sin of a Christian does is it brings a reproach and this criticism down on on Jesus and upon the name of Jesus. You know, think about how Jerusalem was probably buzzing after it heard that Peter denied the Lord. Think about all the social tweets and the OMG, did you hear what Pete said? Hashtag hypocrite. Hashtag fake. Hashtag loser. I mean, Peter was was cursing and swearing he didn't know. Christ, imagine what that was producing for the ministry of Christ. All the people, yeah, all right. They were cursing and and swearing at who Jesus was. You know, when the prophet Nathan, when he rebuked David for his sin, he, he, he didn't just tell him, yeah, you sinned. He actually let him really have the full understanding of what this had, what this accomplished. He told David that his sin had brought reproach and had given the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme. We're losing that one. All right. Second Samuel. Twelve, it says, I have sinned against the Lord, David confessed to Nathan. And then Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. Hallelujah. You won't die for this sin. But you have given great opportunity to the enemies of the Lord to despise and blaspheme him. So your child will die. You know, think about all of the nationally known preachers that have fallen. Jimmy Swaggart, Ted Haggard led a megachurch in Colorado. Todd Bentley was leading a revival in Florida. 
mean, the list, it goes on and on. And again, we're not going to throw stones at these guys. Everyone sins. Everyone sins. And everyone who sins and repents is forgiven. But when we hold on to sin for far too long, it gets exposed. And it gives Christ and it gives the church and it gives the Bible a black eye. And then, you know, when it's just one of us normal Christians, not one of the superstars, when we don't repent of sin and, and we have big public failures, it becomes a reproach on our families, our church family, in the city. Our name, our good name goes through the mud because we didn't deal with that sin when God was dealing with it. We didn't get the help that we needed to get. We didn't reach out. We tried to keep it and manage it, and I will fix it myself, just like Judas, just like Peter. And you know what? The enemies of God cannot wait for us to fail. They cannot wait for us to fail. And so when we don't deal with our sin, our failures become this reproach. It becomes a shame that brings down the whole cause of Christ. Sin brings reproach and criticism on Christ and the church and the Bible. Number four, consequences. Sin gets in the way of God hearing our prayers. See, the Bible is quite clear on this fact that God really delights and hearing the prayers of his people. I mean, he fully enjoys it. We are, in fact, plainly invited to, and we're promised in Matthew chapter 7, or actually we're Luke, Luke 11. We're invited. Where it says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. But unfortunately, so many Christians are living far beneath this level of joy, this level of provision. This is provision. Usefulness. We live so far beneath what God intended us to have as his children. And it's just mostly simply because we don't take everything to God in prayer and we don't ask our Heavenly Father for what we need. I can get in the habit again. I, I'm a dude. I like to get it done. I like to work hard. I can get this out. I figure this out. And I forget to ask God. Like James says, you have not because you ask And then, but then, but then there's this, this, what we're talking about right now is sometimes when we do ask, we do seek, we do knock, and we don't get a response, it could be because we're not dealing with sin. It says in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and his heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. 
That means they're right beside. They're the same. They're in air with you. So that nothing will what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. See, Peter's just trying to, to help us out here. He's, he's saying, listen, guys, when, when we sin against our spouse and we don't clean that mess up, your prayers are not getting heard. That's why. Pete, we're praying awful hard over here. I know, but you had a blow up with your, your spouse and you didn't clean that mess up. You didn't repent. Then he goes on to say, and Peter says in, in verse 9, he says, he says, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Man, we've lost that in culture. But with blessing, repay the evil done to you with a blessing. Repay the evil, the insult that someone did to you on Facebook, on social media, at school. Your co-worker, when they, when they undermined you and they hurt you and they did something that you just know they did it on purpose. How do you respond? With what? With a blessing. For whoever, because this is what you recalled so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, when we live with unconfessed, unjudged, unforsaken sins, it makes it so that God cannot honorably and righteously give us many of the things we ask for. God cannot put himself, listen to this, God cannot put himself in the position of endorsing our unrepentant lifestyle. So if we want a reset, in our relationships, if we want our marriages to have a fresh start, if we want our relationships to get this clean slate with friends, family, parents, kids, whatever, if we want a fresh start with God and, and, and get the Holy Spirit's fire burning in my soul again, we've got to repent. Reset means repent. And the Bible makes it very clear that unconfessed sin that has not been repented, it hinders our walk with the Lord and it brings a reproach on us, on the church, and on God. It says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, it says, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. You know, each of us, we've got to spend time in our days thinking about the ways of our life. And not just self-pity thoughts. 
I didn't do this. I didn't do that. My life isn't this. My life isn't that. I failed this. I failed that. That's pride. No, it's really going to the Lord and asking him, say, search me, God. Look inside of me. If there's anything bad or evil or wicked in there, show it to me. I want it out. I want it out of my marriage because it's wrecking my marriage. It's wrecking my friendships. People I love, I've, I've, I've erased and written off in my life. So here's what I want us to do. Here's the action plan for this week. If you want to take a picture or write it down, go for it. I want you to make a list of the things that have been hanging around in your life for way, way too long. And again, this isn't the Tom's a terrible person list. Oh, yeah, I'm a terrible husband. I'm a bad dad. I don't make enough money. Oh, I didn't pray all last week. I didn't open my Bible this month. Those are problems. They're not to be self-pity problems. Talking about the stuff that, man, there are things in my life that I just, I'm always, uh, I'm always making excuses for everything I do in my marriage. I'm always making up a, a reason why I'm not to blame. Not considering your spouse enough. Over years, that's what breaks down a marriage. So I want you to make that list. I want you to make a list of people you need to reconcile with and repent to. And this is your spouse. This is your parents. This is your children. This is your friends, your leader, a teacher, whoever, a boss. And then you need to make a list of, of what you need to repent to your spouse. I mean, and I said that your spouse, but this is very specific. This is where we're at right now. If you want to heal your marriage, if you want to improve it, you want to take it up a notch from where it is, this is where we've got to start. You've got to repent, and you've got to do it face-to-face. You're not going to text this one. No Facebook Messenger, no email. Uh, You want to handwrite a letter? We'll start there. Mail it with a coupon for a free massage and then say we need to talk in the letter. (laughs) And then you talk. And you look that beloved person in the face. You say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I failed you. I'm sorry I haven't loved you right. I'm sorry I haven't honored you. I haven't respected you. I haven't prayed for you enough. Tear you down. I don't care about you. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I guarantee everybody's got something. And if this seems too difficult for you, then you must find a trusted leader or someone to help navigate you through this. The the marriage ministry team is a perfect group of people to ask. I will help you. Eric will. 
any you you want help to restore marriage and and I'm not talking about 12 weeks of counseling that's my caveat (laughs) I'll do the the intervention and then I'm handing you off to the marriage people but if you need help I will help you there are leaders here will help you navigate this moment of repentance to your spouse to say I'm sorry I've sinned against you. It's been a habit. It's been a lifestyle. It's been a practice in my life. Will you do that this week? Please. I want you to put some music on. And right right now, I I want us all to just close our eyes and I want us to look into our own hearts for the moment. What needs to be confessed and turned away from in your life? Prayer team's going to come up. What is what's going on in your heart right now that you've allowed for way too long? Maybe it's a critical spirit. Maybe you've been lying. Maybe you've been harsh. promise many of us have got a porn issue whether it's an everyday thing or a once a week thing what's God want you to repent of right now ask the altar team to come down at this time If you want, and I recommend that you go to someone and confess. But if you just want to come to the altar, you can come to the altar and deal with it with the Lord in that way. Come down to one of our altar team members and ask them to pray with you and confess what you need to confess so that prayer of a righteous man would avail in your life. So, Father, I just seal this moment right now. Lord, that we would take this opportunity to deal with unconfessed, unrepentant sin that's been in our lives, God, on the daily, on the weekly, on the monthly, Lord. Oh, Father, forgive us. And we're asking for a spirit of repentance to fall upon us all, God. That we would kick pride and shame to the curb. And we would go from remorse into repentance, Lord Jesus. I I pray for courage this week for husbands and wives to look themselves, each other in the face. And to say, I love you. I'm sorry, forgive me. To repent. I ask for courage today, Lord Jesus.
And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us a blueprint for how to get joy, how to get more of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, how to get our prayers answered, and how to be an amazing testimony for the life of Jesus. We do this through repenting and confessing, God. So today, Lord Jesus, we say, come, convict our hearts. Heal us, renew within us a right spirit. Restore the joy of our salvation. Father, we seal this moment today. We seal this day, this great day of worship in your presence and you, God, doing what you do so well. So we just surrender ourselves to you now for the rest of this day as we go to the baptism and as we come back tonight for the prophetic encountering God service. Just thank you, God, and we bless you today in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus.